Okay, you guys can be seated. Don't let those wings put you to sleep, okay? We, we hey, yeah, undo your belt just a little bit. Act like man, uh, amen, all right? <laughs> That's what men do, they undo their belts, okay? When their belly is just too big. So, um, so let's, um, let's lock in and again, get your Bible ready, get your notebook ready, get your phone ready, um, uh, whatever you got to do to, to take notes in such a way that you can remember and to really lock in your mind as to what the word is going to say to this particular area of manhood, which is leadership in the family. So if we talk about men who lead, we want to see men lead. There is the need for men to lead. We need men who lead in their families. We, we want to talk about men who lead in their families. Most of the problems that we see in church, in the church, in terms of coming to us through the grapevine, to the leadership that the elders here and have to address is mostly due to the lack of leadership of the man in the home. Let me say that a more simple way, I guess. Most of the problems that we see are direct results of there not being a man who's leading in the home. The woman's leading. And so all of this error has, is coming in. Um, people, are, people will leave the church. There's all, whether it be gossip or, um, or various uh, differing um, beliefs in regards to wrong theology. Uh, most of the tears that we see from women who come in and, and share with us and ask for help are coming from women whose husbands are not uh, who have husbands who are not leading. Um, when you think about all of this that we address in terms of our elders, our church leadership, once again, most of it is solved by the man leading in the home. Most of it is a consequence of the man not leading. When we see all these issues, we sometimes step back and say, Look at the husband. That's exactly what do all these families have in common? The man's not leading. And it just shows the, the inherent um, responsibility that the man has to have in the leadership, in terms of leadership in the home for things to work right. Um, the, the realm that man is distinctly called to lead first and foremost is, the, is within the family. Um, that's where his work is primarily. That's where the priority is. And um, you see Adam, his first, his first um, um, real call to leadership, although he named... Um, the animals and had dominion over God's world, but in terms of human leadership was 
of his wife. He was identified in relation to his position with his wife. He was the leader. Eve was made for whom? Adam. And so, and then we move into the church, which we will next time. I'm just kind of briefly mentioning these. The elders must lead where first in order to be qualified to lead in the church, in the home. So we see this realm of the family, and it's the primary place that the man has to lead. So I want to establish this theology for you because I just want you to walk around this place confident that that's your role. That's the goal, is that you would know without a shadow of a doubt, it's your job. That's who you are. That's your position. That's your role. I want men walking around our our church campus who are sure that they're the leaders of their home and are confident in it. And I want the boys running around looking up at strong men who lead their homes. And so what we're going to establish right now is a theological understanding of what is called complementarianism. Complementarianism. That's the doctrine. <laughs> Write that down. Complementarianism. We are complementarianists. We are complementarianists. We are complementarianists. It means you give everybody compliments. <laughs> Joking. We are complementarianists as opposed to being egalitarianists. You, we are not egalitarians. We are complementarians. And you need to be firm in this doctrinal position. We are what egalitarians believe is that there's gender equality in terms of roles, specifically in the home and the church. There's not one distinct design, there's not a leader in the home or the church, either can function in that role. Um, Women can do that job. And, And so there's no restriction there whatsoever. That's not what we believe. If we believe the Bible. Complementarianism believes that there's distinct gender roles. There are distinct gender roles. Specifically in the home and the church. There's equal value before God, but there's distinctness in roles. especially in regards to leadership. So let's 
Turn to Genesis chapter two for just a moment. Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two. Verse 18 through verse 24. Thorns and thistles it should bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve. I'm sorry, Genesis 3. I'm sorry. We're, let's go back to chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Okay. Um, that's part of it, actually. So it's okay. Genesis chapter 2, ready? Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Okay. So who's there first? Man. Okay, is that significant? Well, let's turn to 1 Timothy. Keep your finger there. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. What's the reason? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Okay, so that's significant. This is all pointing to the distinctness in the roles. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. In verses 18 through 24 again. Then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper, what? Fit for him. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's see if that's significant. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Then jump down for, to verse eight and verse nine. For man was not made from woman, but woman from what? Man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for what? Man. Go back to Genesis chapter two, verses 18 through 24. We just... Watch it play out. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, brought it to the who? The man, to see what he would call it. Whatever the man called it, that's what it was named. Verse 20, who gave the names? The man. But for Adam, there was not found a, a what? Helper suitable for him. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, closed up, his flesh, 
And verse 22, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. He shall create a new family with the woman. Adam had authority here we see in all of this, and he was the, just the beginning. I mean, we're just looking at the beginning now, okay? It's clear, even from Paul's interpretations in 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians, that this is significant. It points to the distinctness between man and woman, the man being the leader or the head. It's pretty simple. But let's think about this as we move forward through Scripture, who were all of the covenant promises given to? Men. Who were all the prophets? Men. What about all the priests? What? Men. What about all the kings? How was the lineages? How were the lineages decided? Through the man. As God describes himself in three persons, he describes himself as what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What gender were all the disciples? What about all of the apostles? Which really the same thing right, in terms of its leadership, just extending a little bit more with the disciples. And so, as we see this, who was the Bible written by? Men, you say, well, wait a second. We're not sure um, who all the books were written by. Well, it doesn't matter too much because Second Peter tells us that they were who? Men carried along by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take much to see that God has made unique, distinct roles in terms of man and woman, and I'm not getting into the other side of it. I mean, we could spend all day talking about how much we value women and how wonderfully God has created them and how much we love the women in our lives. All I'm simply pointing out is this. God has made them distinct to complement each other. And the leadership is given to who? The men. We are complementarianists. You are the leader of your home. You are. You are the leader of your home. You are called to lead your home. You are the one who should be leading your home. And the next time we'll look at the church, but let's just look at some verses. Let's flip around for a second. Titus chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Titus chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. 
the, the, what are young women, what are women to, uh, older women to train young women in? Verse 4. To train the young women to love their husbands and their children. That's their job. That's their role. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of the gold jewelry and, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart um, with the imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is how the holy women of, who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. And the husbands are to call to live with their wives in an understanding way as the weaker vessel and so we see this uniqueness. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It's testing your Bible skills, men. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse three. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. In verses eight through nine, as we read them earlier, for man was not made from woman, Verse 9, neither was man created for woman. Woman. Now, all of this can be distorted. Listen now. All of this can be distorted by the curse. True? What's the temp what, what was the curse? What did the curse say? That the man's temptation is going to be to um, abuse this leadership. And the woman's temptation is going to be to do what? To take it. Does that negate the distinct roles and responsibilities? No. You are the leader because God made you a man. I want everyone in our church walking around sure and confident and proud to be, in a sense, 
the leader of their home. And if you haven't been this way, you need to become and step into this. So there's different roles. You have always been the leader since you were married and you need to faithfully obey this. The man is the leader. It's how it's designed. This is what is commanded. This is what is instructed. This is the doctrine of complementarianism. It's destructive when the man doesn't lead. We've heard these statistics. There's benefits when the man does lead. And we have great, wonderful, Christ-like women around us, but they're not the leaders. They're not the leaders, and they're not called to be the leader. You have to understand this. And weak men who would rather watch TV, video games, um, even do drugs and alcohol, um, they don't want this responsibility. And what's happened is um, men become obsessed with their work. Their whole identity is defined by their job as if that is fulfilling all of their roles of responsibility and leadership. It's easy to get dressed, leave the house with all the kids in the wife's care and to feel like you are doing everything you need to do by going to your job every day. And, you're, and you become obsessed, and this is where your identity lies, and you're willing to miss church because of it, willing to stay out late because of it, willing to go on business trips. There are men who miss three out of four Sundays a month at church because of their job. Get a new job. You can make just as much money doing something else. It's your ego that's blocking that. Get a new job. That's not the defining position of your life. It's to be the leader of your home. Get a new job. It's really not a difficult decision. And you have to step into this role. Women come to church alone 75% of the time. I mean, we see it all the time. Women who are hustling in the doors, getting all three, four of their kids inside the doors. They're sweating. You're asking, can I help you in some way? Where's your husband? He's at the Saints game. He's tailgating. He's got a golf tournament today. He's on a, we a business trip again. Women are posting inappropriate, self-exalting, worldly things on social media that is just self-promotion. It's a temptation for them. And they have no male leadership to help coach that. You have the woman who teaches the son spiritually or the daughter spiritually, the children spiritually 90% of the time. She wakes up in the morning, she does their Bible study. She puts them to bed at night and reads their Bible story. Throughout the day, she's the one who's talking with them about the Bible. 
and it's just okay that dad doesn't know as much about the Bible, nor does he engage in the scriptures all that much because he goes to work and sits behind a computer and crunches numbers. Now, it's wonderful that you should provide for your family, but let's not, you know, use that as an excuse. Because of a job and income, we're willing to miss three-fourths of the Sundays a month. And so now we have kids who have sexual issues, gender issues, because really most of it, and you could probably ask Chad, at the heart of those were young boys wanting to be approved by their fathers. The depression, the suicide, the sexual issues. You don't want to create that in your sons. Be there for your sons. And so this is clear. This doctrine is clear. Man, you are the leader. What does that mean? It means authority. It means protection. It means strength. It means care. It means initiative. It means leadership. It means direction. It means decision. It means thinking for others. It means empowering others. It means loyalty. It means trust. We must get other men, in addition to ourselves, to think this way. So what do we do in the home? I just want to point this out, walk through this in a passage you're extremely familiar with. In Ephesians chapter 5, you can turn there. How do we do this? This is just one of the most comprehensive places in the scripture to see this. We could go to Deuteronomy 6. We could go back to Genesis. We could go to any of those verses that I've shown you. But this is just comprehensive. And so it tells you exactly how to do this. But you have to understand, first of all, that this is your role. This is who you are. I want men walking around this church with their chest out proud to be the spiritual leaders of their home, knowing that that's who they are. So Ephesians chapter five, I want to read from verse one through chapter six, verse four. And then we're going to spend our time just looking at some principles here that are not very difficult to look at. So I'm just going to read it all. Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who, it is, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of, God, of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be par- partners with them. For at one time you were dark. Oh, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, to, submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." If we want to be the men that God has called us to be, especially in the home, which we'll get to, it's going to start with a few things. Number one, it's going to start with personal holiness. In verses 1 through 21 in chapter 5, we see that this begins with personal holiness. In chapters 1 through 4 of Ephesians, you guys know this, we see uh, uh, 1 through 3, we see doctrine In verse 4, we begin to see application of doctrine. And in chapter 5, we're we're given very specific ways in which we are called to live. And the first element of this is personal holiness. What is personal holiness? Listen, if you are going to lead the home, there's a reason why this comes before the leadership of, of the man in the home which is in all, uh, not till verse 22. 
There needs to be a type of person before this can be true within the home. And it's a holy person. How do you lead within the home? You have to be holy, genuinely. You cannot fake this. You can't fake it. You have to be holy. What does that mean? Well, it's easily summarized in verse one of this chapter. Verses one and two, really. Be what? Imitators of God. That's what it means. Verse two, walk in love as what? Christ did. You are imitators of Christ. You are imitators of God. You are Christ-like. You're growing. You're sanctified. This is who you have to be. You have to be one who is becoming like Christ, like God. That's what it means to be holy. That's what it means. I can summarize these 21 verses in three sections. They're not on the screen, but they all start with the letter S in this personal holiness. The first deals with being sanctified in verses one through five. So under personal holiness, just make a little subpoint: sanctified, verses one through five. Look at this. No sexual immorality. You're Christ-like, you're God-like. No sexual immorality, no covetousness, no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, always thanksgiving, no sexual immorality, um, no empty words, right? As we see all of this, really, um, this is who you are called to be. It, it, this is this pure, sanctified, holy person. Secondly, it really speaks of that holiness in terms of being set apart. Look at verses 6 through 14. So you have personal holiness in verses 1 through 21. You have that person being sanctified, meaning Christ-like. And then you have that person being separate. Listen now. Listen. Just engage. Lock in. You're, you have to be separate from the world. You have to be. Verses 6 through 14. Look at this. Let no one deceive you with empty words, right? Verse 7. Do not become what? Partners, right? Walk as children of the what? Light. Verse 11, take no what? Take no part in unfruitful works. Instead, do what with them? Expose them. So here's what this looks like. In order to be who God wants you to be, you have to be personally holy. If we had holy men, I mean, that would be incredible. That would be incredible. You would see families changed. You would see the church change. You'd see the community change. Men who above all value being like Christ, having the mind of Christ, getting rid of sin. What does this personal holiness look like? It's described as verses one through five, a, a sanctification especially in the grotesque sins. Number two, it's described in a separation in verses six through 14, a separation. And then number three, it's described in a way of service to God. Service, verse 15 through 21, right? Making the most, verse 16, the best use of your what? 
time for the days of evil, right? Don't get drunk. Be filled with the what? Spirit. Verse 19, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? Serve one another. This is the call. Personal holiness. Personal holiness, being sanctified, being separate, serving others, serving God. But after we move in from this personal holiness, number two is where I want to just focus on the husbands and the men and the leaders. We move into this positional faithfulness. Positional faithfulness. Personal holiness. And then it speaks of a very specific position for the man and the woman, the husband and the wife. And this is how it's described in order to be faithful. Positional faithfulness. Positional faithfulness. And I want to just focus on the man's role in the home. So I'm just going to pick it apart. There's seven pointers under this number two. And they all start with the letter P. So let's focus on these. The first is the man's position. The first is the man's position. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the what? As to the Lord. So let me ask this question. Who is given the position that the man has? The Lord. So when the wife submits to the husband, it's as if she's submitting to who? The Lord. The wife submits to the husband for the purpose of submitting to the who? To the Lord. She submits to the husband because she wants to be submissive to the what? To the Lord. And so this is the position that's given. It's a position that's given by God. The second thing that we see here is the protection. Here's how you are faithful in this role. You see the position and then we see the protection. The idea here that the husband is himself, it's what? The Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. So the husband must be in this way, the head of, of the wife, right? What does that mean? Is the husband provides salvation for the wife? The husband provides salvation for the wife? No. But it's a type of spiritual protection, deliverance. Um, Christ has delivered the church from where? From where? From hell. Christ has delivered the church from hell. The husband is in that way to deliver his wife from where? Hell. It's the Savior protecting her from Satan and his schemes and sin and the consequences and, and, and spiritual um, apostasy. The husband is called to, to save the wife in that sense. Do you understand? Do you get that? So your wife's spiritual position will be a direct reflection of your spiritual leadership. Her spiritual condition will be, a, I, you can tell a lot about a, a man's leadership by looking at and talking to his what? Wife. 
There's this spiritual protection. Number three, the third thing that we see is the pattern. The pattern in verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What's the ultimate pattern? And we've been seeing this all along, but what's the pattern that we're following? Christ and the church. Christ and the church. As the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We have a great example to follow. Now think about this. Number four, and then here's some practical. It's number four is the practice. In verses 25 through 26, the practice. How do we do this? Now listen, if, you're not, if you haven't been, I hope you have. If you haven't been listening this whole time, listen now. Okay, wake up. Listen now. This is what you do. Here's the practice, verses 25 through 26. And I'm with you, man. I'm with you on this. We got to do this. We got to do this. Verses 25 through 26. Husbands, here's the first point. Ready what? Love. Love your wives. If you have a hard heart, and you can't love your wife, then come and talk to Chad or one of our pastors who will help you beat your heart into submission until you can love your wife. You got to love her. You have to love your wife. You have, to, you have to encourage her. You have to take care of her needs. You have to love your wife or this is not going to work out right and you're not being obedient. Don't just chalk it up to you have just a certain type of personality that's just unloving. That's sin, not personality. Right? You've got to love your wife. Now there's something more here. He gave himself up for her, for the church, Christ did, that he might what? Sanctify her. Now let me ask you this real quick. What's the purpose that Christ died for you? That he might what? Verse, verse 26. There's a word of that. He died or saved, gave himself up. Verse 26. That he might what? Sanctify. The goal is to save you in order to sanctify you. That's why I say the main purpose of your Christian life is to become holy. He wants to make you pleasing to him, glorifying, reflecting him, and able to purely enjoy him where sin is eradicated out of your life and you are who God made you to be, which is to be in relationship with him. You are saved to be made holy. Okay, now, in that same way, you as a husband are called to sanctify your what? wife. This is the practice. So what is the goal of you becoming married? There's one main goal. What's the goal? Sanctifier. That's the main goal. You say, well, that doesn't sound like the goal I've heard. Can I tell you how temporary your marriage is? We're about to preach on it on Sunday. There's no marriage in heaven. 
you are not going to be married anymore in heaven. No one's getting married in heaven. No one will be married in heaven. Your marriage is for right here, for right now. Do you get joys and perks out of marriage? Absolutely. But why do you think God would establish marriage for the short little life that you have? You think just to make you happy? To glorify who? Him. So the goal of your marriage is to sanctify your spouse. That's the purpose. How do you sanctify her? Well, it tells us by, look at it, what? The washing of water with the, the more word you give her, the more this water is just coming over her and cleaning her like a shower. Just teach her the word. Explain to her the word. Don't, don't go out and buy all these books. Don't go to all the love conferences. Don't, don't do all that. Come to church every week and sit under the word. Hear the word explained. And then when you go home, don't just like mention things or like, you know, put on like just some Christian, you know, music. All that stuff is fine. But literally, I'm telling you, just go get your Bible, pick a book of the Bible, start somewhere and just start explaining it. Read the Bible, explain the Bible and apply the Bible and just keep doing that for a lifetime right? It means you're going to have to study or ask for help to understand it yourself. But that's how you accomplish it. It's very simple. This is the practice. Love her and sanctify her. How do you sanctify her? You give her the word. That's it. That's the goal of your marriage. It's the goal of salvation. That's the goal of your marriage. When you, we're united with Christ, he wants to make us holy. When you're united with your spouse, he wants you to make your wife holy. That's the goal, and you do it by giving her the word. So listen, you are first personally holy. You're sanctified yourself. All this sinful darkness is out of your life. You're separate from the world. You're serving God and serving others. And then in your position that you've been given before, before God, which is to be a husband... You're faithful. You're personally holy. You're positionally faithful. We see the position that you are the head. That's what's been given by the Lord. You are to protect your wife spiritually. The pattern resembles Christ and the church. The practice of it is loving and then spiritually maturing your wife. If your wife is spiritually immature, it's because you need to, it's for the purpose of, or, or I'm sorry, you're there for the purpose of maturing her, right? If she's spiritually immature, it's either maybe because you haven't been married long enough, okay? Or it's because you're not doing your, your job. So we need to mature her. Now, let's see what the purpose is. We're almost done with this. Number five. Number five, what's the picture here? The picture, position, protection, pattern, practice, purpose, picture. Ephesians chapter five, verses 32 and 33. The mystery is profound, right? Mystery is profound, or I'm sorry, the purpose here. 
verses 27 through 31. Sorry, purpose. Hold on, stay with me. We're almost done, just a few minutes. 27 through 31, here's the purpose. Position, protection, pattern, practice, purpose. So that, you see that word, in ver- that phrase in verse 27? Look at verse 27. What does it say? So that, here's the purpose. He might present the church to himself with splendor, without spot or wrinkle, any such thing. She might be holy, without blemish. That's the purpose of you sanctifying her. You want her to be presented to the Lord in the same way. In the same way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And and for no one ever hated his own flesh, nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So here's the deal. Listen now. The goal of your marriage, that your wife would be more holy when she meets Christ than when she met you. That's the goal. Okay? You want to present her to, to Christ. Two more here, and we're done. Just the picture. Verses 32 through 33. The mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. These verses there in verses 32 through 33 are are telling us that this is a, a picture of something, an image of something. It's meant to reflect the picture of Christ loving his church. So when, when unbelievers see your marriage, what should, what should it be a picture of? Yeah. Are you giving an accurate picture or an inaccurate picture? And then number seven, the last P here, and we're done. I'm just closing it after this, is the prominence or the potential. Prominence meaning like look how... Um, far-reaching your job is. It even moves down into your children. And look at the potential that you have. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So children should obey both their parents. The question, you should ask the question, do you require obedience? Kids to do what they're told, when they're told, with the right heart. You want to get your children to respond immediately and obey. My kids aren't there yet. So it's okay if your kids are not, but that's your goal. Immediate obedience with the right heart. Okay? Now look at this. Who does it specify in verse four? Fathers. Okay, watch this, because this is the same job with the spouse, with the wife, we're done. Bring them up in the what? There's two aspects to this. Discipline and instruction. How do, you, how do you raise your children? Discipline and instruction. Instruction of what? Of the Lord. So you literally, you, you require obedience and you open your Bible with your child and you instruct them from the what? From the word. Don't make it any more complicated than that. You can insert other stories. Maybe make a pattern of it. Like, we're reading about some of the reformers right now, me and my kids. You can read non-Christian books sometimes and bring them bring, bring in there, you know, scatter them in. 
But the meat and potatoes of what you do, what they should remember from ages one through 18 when they leave the house is that dad opened the word and I can just hear the pages and I can see his strong finger pointing from line to line and just explaining. You want them to have vivid memories of that, right? That's, that's the goal. So to close this, listen, I want the men of this church to be strong, be watchful, you know, be alert, stand firm, act like men, do it all in love. How do you fulfill this role of manliness? First, it's got to start in the home. Be proud to be the one who leads the home. Take the responsibility. Know it. Act on it. You have to be personally holy, being sanctified, separate, serving God, and you have to be positionally faithful. You're the leader. You're the leader. And so I'm praying that we would have men who grab a hold of this role. Let me pray. Father, we come before you, and I just ask you to, to do this work, not because my words here are strong enough or great enough or impactful enough, but simply because these men have seen it in the word. Let them be convinced that you've given distinct roles and responsibilities. We are complementarianists. And if that's what you've called men to do, which is lead, then what should our lives look like? Well, we know that they should be holy and that we should be faithful to this leadership role, specifically in the home with our wives and with our children. Make this true of this group of men here. In Jesus' name, amen.